Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode four of Outdoors Podcast. Today, my guest is a friend of mine named Brad Fitzgerald. Brad is, uh, in my world, an expert in fly fishing and upland bird hunting. Uh, he has a couple of bird dogs that he and his dad have been training, and he just shares a wealth of knowledge when it comes to those two sports, something that I am not versed in at all. So it was really cool to be able to pick his brain and get some of kind of the best practices and some of the stuff that the experts know that we novices don't. So let's get right in. I think you're going to really enjoy today's episode. All right. So uh, first and foremost, Brad, you and I know each other because we both worked at the same marketing agency, Elasticity, here in St. Louis. Indeed, indeed. Uh, awesome firm. I had an absolute blast working there. Uh, I don't know about what your experience was sure, like. Yeah, absolutely. We didn't overlap. So that was kind of the interesting <laughs> thing about our relationship is you left right before I got there. Yep. Uh, but we've just kind of gotten to know each other through the mutual friends that we have there and Aaron and Zach and all the other guys. Oh, Does yeah. Zach still live with you, by the way? He used to. Gotcha. He, uh, he moved in with his girlfriend, Chloe, right about the time I got engaged. And now I am unengaged. Gotcha. Uh, so back on the market. But Zach is still... Still Chloe, so gotcha. therefore my roommate is still uh, spoken for. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's a good thing. That can be a good thing. Um, and then, you know, obviously you and I have gotten to know each other because we both follow each other on social media. Yeah. We've had some conversations on, you know, Facebook and things like that. But we've never really gotten the opportunity to just kind of sit down and talk about your background. We, we talked just briefly before mm -hmm. this. So talk a little bit about your experience growing up, what your family's experience was in the sure. outdoors and kind of how you got your background in it. Yeah, I'm really lucky that my dad, you know, is into hunting and fishing, but you know, he he his dad was not. And so it was actually an uncle of his that took him hunting and fishing and really got him into the outdoors. Um, and so I grew up, you know, I went hunting with him for the first time when I was probably five. Okay. Um, you know, I think opening day of dove season is the most fun you can have with your pants on. Okay. And, uh, and so that's where I really started getting a love for the outdoors and for, for hunting and bird dogs. And, um, you know, I've always been a big fisherman. I think I won my first fishing tournament, which was at Lake Chesterfield here in St. Louis nice, nice. when I was like seven. Okay. Uh, and I wasn't old enough to like win the prize, like, cause you had to be 18 and my dad just like totally didn't expect me to win. Hilarious. Uh, and so I think I was hooked ever since pun intended. Um, and so <laughs> grew up doing a lot of fishing, just normal spin casting. Um, and then when I was, I think I was 12 or 13, my dad took me out to Colorado when he was on a work trip. And he just had, uh, my dog's jumping in your lap, uh, he just had um, a bunch of guides take me out every day while he was working. And uh, one of the days was fly fishing, and I just fell in love with it. And because of that, you know, like while we were out there, um, a coworker of his bought me my first fly rod. Oh, no joke. Yeah. And so like we, the Bucking Rainbow was the name of the outfitter there, which is like an awesome name. It was like a, a cowboy riding a rainbow trout. That's Just, awesome. Like it's very iconic. I think that was so cool to have that be my first experience. It's up in Steamboat, Colorado. And uh, I was just did it ever since. Every time we'd go to Colorado, which is usually like once a summer, we would do it. Um, and I always did it with guides. And then after college, um, I got my bird dog, Dash. And we really got into hunting and I just loved it. I loved going out with him, but that was really only something that occurred like in the fall and winter. And I wanted something that kind of bridged that, that got sure. me out. Same kind of feeling that you get from being outside in a really beautiful area, doing something that's very calming, but exciting. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm really going to get back into fly fishing rather than just going like once a year with a guide. I'm just like really going to pick it up. And so uh, luckily I had a couple of friends who were into it and I was just like, hey, will you guys take me out and will you show me what's up? 
And I was very fortunate that they did. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it seems like, and I mean, I've had this experience in talking to you. You're very much into getting other people out. Yeah. I know that that's kind of been the background of, you know, the Yuppie Hunt Club, which yeah. I want to talk about more. Um, you know, what is it about this sport? Because one of the interesting dichotomies that I always talk about with my friends is, you know, being in communications, being in marketing and media. One of the biggest, most frustrating things about being a backpacker in the United States is finding out where to go, how to get there, mm -hmm. and then what like rules, regulations, and permitting do you need to get beforehand? How do you figure out where you yeah. can camp, where you can't? Uh, I, Sarah and I were just out in Yosemite National Park, and I'm going to do awesome. a video about this soon, but it, it's almost impossible as a backpacker to figure out mm -hmm. ahead of time what to do if you've never been there. Once you've been there once, it's super easy, but yeah. if you've never been there before, it is impossible to figure out. So one of the things that I'm always interested in is that when when I'm outside, when mm -hmm. I'm out in the wild, one of the things that I love is the solitude. It's the quiet, oh, right? Yeah. And so I'm always kind of battling with that, like, hey, I want more people to experience what I am. But if I get more people to do what I'm doing, then all of a sudden these places that I love to go are a lot more crowded. Sure. And so I'm always kind of curious about, you know, uh, when we went down to Montauk this last weekend, we were trying to go for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, mm -hmm. and Saturday was already booked. Like, yeah. we couldn't even get a permit, and that was weeks ago. Sure. So. Uh, it was. I was surprised to see that it was that popular because I'd never mm -hmm. been there. So yeah, so it is an interesting dichotomy about trying to educate people and get more people into it versus like worrying about too many people being in your favorite fishing spot. Right. Uh, and I think it's a it's a careful balance. But the other thing that that sportsmen need to understand, and there's actually a really great video that just came out like last week or the week before about it, but a decline in people who are interested in being sportsmen is, is incredibly uh, dangerous for yeah, the sport. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like what pays for the conservation efforts or the permits, uh, what pays for uh, all of the, like the game and fish stuff. I mean, it's just like people getting into it. There's taxes on the gear that, and, and if we don't have people doing that, then it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot less sportsmen now than there were say 20 years ago. So for people who are worried about it being too crowded, I think they're full of it because there's less people. I mean, right. there just is. Just and by so the numbers It may are. feel like it's still crowded, but there are still less people who are doing it. And and I think we need to try and get back to like the numbers of people who are doing it like back in the 80s. Um, and I think by that, you'll have more people volunteering for conservation organizations like Trout Unlimited or Quail Forever. Um, and that will inevitably help the species. There will be more of what we like to have and, and do. Um, and everything will end up being better for everyone. So I think it's a bit of an abstract thought. You know, it's like, well, if there are more people that are fishing, there's going to be more people in my fishing spot. And I can see that point, but it's just quite frankly not the case. Yeah, the, the statistics would say otherwise. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you've kind of taken people out, what do you think are some of the most important things? Because I've kind of dabbled in fly fishing mm -hmm. and, you know, in all of the, and I'll ask you this question first as a lead-in, because I typically put outdoors people into two categories mm -hmm. people that give a shit about gear and people that don't yep, right because yep, yep. inevitably you're going to find that when i talk to people i kind of dig down that alley and then they're just not interested at all and you can tell i'm just purely into like give me whatever rod whatever boots whatever pack mm -hmm. i just want to go yeah versus there's other guys that sit around they have spreadsheets oh, and they yeah. think about it all day long yeah which of those two categories do you put yourself into if oh, any, because you don't no, have to it, qualify yourself on my scale. I would definitely say I used to be very much the gear guy. Okay. And I, I think that typically the gear guy comes from people who don't get out as much as they wish they did. True. And they make up for it by 
the the purchase of the gear, the research, and all those things. Uh, like the more and more that I've been able to get out, the less and less I've cared about the gear. I think part of that's just because my expendable income for that is like, there's not un- yeah. unlimited. Yeah. And so now I'm more focused on like, what's like the best value. So when I put people onto fly rods, like you can spend an unlimited amount of money on fly rods. Um, but there are a few brands that make really great quality gear. That's not at an expensive price. And that's even what I use now. Like I have very expensive rods that I've been very fortunate to like back when I was the gear guy. Right. Right. Uh, and I, I never use them now. No, really? Yeah. And it's like, they just kind of sit because well, a lot of it's like when you go out a lot, your stuff gets messed up. Sure. And when you're taking a $1,200 fly rod out and you're, you watch it get broken, even though there's a lifetime warranty on it, like always look for a fly rod with a lifetime warranty. Gotcha. It's when it advice. breaks, it breaks your heart. Yeah. Uh, even though it's like, oh, it's only like 50 bucks to get it replaced. It's still like hard to watch. So something so beautiful break. It, it's, it was interesting. I got my first camera about four years ago now, maybe a little less. And it was a really inexpensive, I mean, for, for, for in the grand scheme of things sure. when, when it comes to cameras, I got a Canon T6i, like the yeah. entry level DSLR. And I think all in, it was about 800 bucks. Mm-hmm. And at the time, like that was a decent amount of money. And it, literally when I got out of the box, I would practically carried around on a pillow i was so afraid to like ding it dent it scratch Uh it and a year in i'm like tossing it across the room (laughs) like throwing it in my car you just realize that that thing is like a little tougher than you think it is Uh and on top of that like you just get used to the idea of its gear it has to be used Mm -hmm. it's gonna take some dings and dents but then when i was in miami filming with a buddy of mine i dropped the thing and the lens broke and it was earth shattering just (laughs) and it wasn't an expensive lens but it was just that moment (gasps) so yeah i I get where you're coming from on that kind of stuff so of that stuff what tell me you know for a fly fisher for somebody that's getting started sure we've kind of had this conversation which by the way i took your model of when i asked you like hey i'm thinking about getting into fly fishing what should Mm -hmm. i focus on you sent me this really eloquent well-worded really thorough email which yeah. i'd never seen anybody do before that was such a cool idea that's how i got into like building an outline for this podcast yeah. and so that's literally the inspiration that awesome. made me do that um because that was such an easy way i'm sure a it offloads the responsibility for you because i'm sure every one of your friends at some point goes hey man I'm thinking about getting into fly fishing which, exactly. and you don't want to repeat that yeah. mantra over and over again but on top of that it was really thorough and you didn't mm-hmm. leave anything out because you thought about it so walk me through kind of some of the basics of what you think people should start with, where they should focus. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've noticed about the people that get out more, right? Mm-hmm. I have a friend uh, that, let's just say, has a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got a really nice car right now, and he's looking at getting his second car. And wants to get, like, a really fast sports car. Cool. And my thought process was, like, man, take half of your 80, 90 grand, whatever you're going to spend, go to, like, 10 driving schools, for five grand a piece sure, yeah. all over the country mm-hmm. for like a week at a time, all expenses paid, go get the experience to know how to use great equipment and then figure out how to get a car later on down the road. Like you'll a, you'll be way better off mm-hmm. experience wise. You'll have way better memories yeah. and more fun. Uh, but B, once you do have that car, you're going to be better with it. Yeah. So I think a lot of people fear that. I know I did with camera stuff and with some of my camping gear, mm-hmm. when you invest you're spending some money, so you don't want to like get something you know you're going to replace. But I think you've cr- kind of curated a list yeah. of stuff that probably doesn't have to be replaced, at least not for the 
so a lot of people will they'll start off and they'll want to get like the cheapest gear because mm-hmm. they feel like they need that when really it's not that much more expensive to get something that you can have for the rest of your life. And and so I kind of thought through it because I've seen myself make that mistake when I first got into it. Like sure. I bought a bunch of stuff that just very quickly had to be replaced. Like I didn't really have anyone provide that list for me. Yeah. And so it was like a lot of just like me thinking I knew what I needed and I didn't. And I, I bought it and it worked and I quickly became either annoyed or outgrew it. Um, and then went and had to buy new stuff. And so I've put that list together because it's like, it helps. It's very quick. Like I can just copy and paste it into anyone who asks. Sure. Um, but it's all good stuff that you can have for the rest of your life. Uh, and it'll really do you well. And I think part of the, your, your analogy about your friend with the car, it's, it's absolutely right when it comes to getting a fly, like a guide. Um, I like when I go and fish new water, I always will fish it with a guide. Really? First. Yeah. Um, and it's just because like, they know what flies are effective there. It's not the same on every river. Um, they'll know like the good holes, uh, they'll have different techniques. And so you go with them and you can just kind of pick up a thing or two. Sure. And then that hopefully educates you enough to be able to go do it on your own. And if you have the gear, um, that like, you know, isn't, isn't the bottom of the barrel kind of stuff, you can go do it on your own. Okay. So to that, to that extent, as far as finding guides and giving people Mm -hmm. some kind of depth and transparency yeah. to that how do you find guides when yep. you're going what is something like that run mm-hmm. uh and how do you know that the person that you are going out with is you know who you think that they are and, and all that how are you finding them yeah so uh one really effective way is instagram honestly okay. if you start like looking around on instagram at like some of the locations you're going to go fish uh you, you can use hashtags or locations you'll see people who are like posting a lot and then you can reach out to them. And I've done that a lot. I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about fishing in this area. You know, do you know of any good guides? And, and they can kind of point you in the right direction of the people who are legit. That's really cool. Yeah, it, it's, it's really kind of changed the game uh, just with all the location-based stuff. You can start calling around. A lot of times there'll be fly shops. Sometimes they can lead you in the wrong direction. I actually just went on a trip. Gosh, it was like three weeks ago in Florida now, um, an outfit out of like Seaside, Florida, and they had me like an absolutely terrible guide. No joke. I booked it. I booked it the last minute, so it's kind of my own fault. But at the same point, like you, that is a risk that you run. And I honestly like didn't do my research. Sure. And so I think it, it kind of behooves you to go and look on Instagram, ask around more rather than maybe just take someone's word for it, um, because there are people who will do it for the money. And you asked about how much it costs. Depends on the guide and what you're doing, um, but typically it would run anywhere between like three and five hundred a day. Okay. Yeah, and and a lot of times that'll be for two people. Oh, Sometimes that's cool. it's poor person like that. Um, but yeah, that's usually about what it costs. Yeah. And that seems, I mean, especially if you're getting experience in a new area and then would have the insight if you want to go back Mm -hmm. to be able to revisit that, you don't necessarily have to get a guide the next time, but at least you have some of that insight. Now you were saying that, you know, what flies are going to hit and what's going to work, things like that. Does that stuff change from season to season or is that more geographical? Oh, and it changes hour to hour. No joke. You know, like, um, you'll be fishing and you'll have a fly on and you'll catch five fish in an hour. And then all of a sudden it'll just shut off. No joke. And they'll, they'll switch to something else. And you just, that's why I love fly fishing so much because it's not just like plunking a, a, a worm under a little bobber out and right. just sitting there waiting for something to hit. You know, it's a strategy game. There's different ta- like casts that you can do, different mends, which is, you know, like a cast is like something you do while the fly rod is moving. A mend is something you do after the tip stops. 
Um, and so there's different flies, different presentations. You know, if you're using a streamer, you can strip it fast, you can strip it slow. Streamer being like something that imitates a bait fish. Okay. Um, and so all of these things, it's like you're you're trying to play around with like a multivariant equation. Sure. And you're trying to figure out what are the fish digging today. Yeah. And sometimes you figure it out figure it out right off the bat, and you're gonna have a banner day. And sometimes you never figure it out. And that's kind of the fun part about it because you know it's like it's not catching, it's fishing. And, yeah. And and so it, it to me it's a mind game. And, and that you're playing with the fish. Yeah, we had a guy. It was really funny because, so like I said, Sarah's dad uh, took us down. And Sarah's dad was a, a newspaper man in Jeff City for 40 years. Oh, cool. Uh, actually was his first job and then retired, I think, just shy of 70 years old recently. Literally been there the entire time. He's there 40-some-odd years. Wow. Uh, and was there, you know, one of their large editors for a long, long time. And a, just a, one of the salt-of-the-earth nicest guys you're ever going to meet uh, and has a background in scouting and has just done a lot in fishing and mm -hmm. knows about guns and just kind of a guy's guy, yeah. uh, but super awesome. He took us fishing, and, and like I told you before this, I hadn't done a ton of fishing before this, so it was all a pr very new experience. Yeah. But what I learned pretty quickly of doing some spin cast fishing was that there's definitely more activity than what I'm used to, like going to a pond or a mm -hmm. lake and just sitting there, same thing with a bobber, sitting under a yeah. dock, whatever. Uh, we were moving around. We were constantly trying different, you know, colors on our baits and things mm -hmm. like that. But then we're about halfway through the day, and I think we both had a couple of fish by then, you know, Sarah and I, and, and I'd gotten up early. And um, this guy comes cruising up the river at us, and we were at the, the uh, bridge right by the campsites. Mm -hmm. And this dude's got some waders on, and about half the people did, half the people don't. And he's fly fishing, and most people down there are spin casting. Sure. And he's fly fishing, and he comes up, and my, you know, Sarah, knowing that I got the Tankara rod, is like, "Oh, fly fisher, check that guy out." So I start watching him, and I don't know how we got started in a conversation, but we started talking to him, and he goes, uh, "How you guys doing today?" And we were like, "Oh, we got a couple of fish. Mm -hmm. How about you?" And he goes, "I lost track." We were like, what do you mean? He goes, I catch like 50, 60 fish a day down here. Mm -hmm. We were like, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I mean, you know, and we're sitting there chatting and he catches like five, six fish in 10 minutes, just mm -hmm. hammering left and right, has the barbs on the hooks worn down or, you know, plotted down. So he's just flying right off, yeah. dropping them right back in the water, getting right back to it. Yeah. And it was just such a more active experience. Mm -hmm. And it was, he had so much more range. And just the whole thing, I was just sitting there watching it, and it was so artful yeah. and beautiful to watch it. And he was so experienced. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, you know, like, hey, I've been fishing here for 40 years. It's yeah. not just that I'm sitting here with a fly rod or whatever. Uh, this was a very talented fisherman. Yeah. Uh, but it was it's uh, very much echo your sentiments, is that it's super active, yeah. total, you know, lots of variables, things to think about. Mm -hmm. That's pretty wild. Yeah, that's that's really what I love about it. I mean, I, little known fact, but I have really bad ADD. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, like, just sitting there and, like, spin casting and plunking some lures out there in the middle of a pond, it loses my attention pretty quickly. Repeat, yeah. Um, and the fly fishing, that's why I was so drawn to it, is because, like, well, I always liked catching fish. Um, but it would lose my attention. And then fly fishing, it just never has. Gotcha. Yeah. So of the advice that you've been given by guides, has there been anything that you've just been, oh, wow, that's really transformative, or man, that really changed my mind? Mm -hmm. uh, I'll share a story with you in, in backpacking here in a minute, but do, do you have anything like that? Yeah, there's a guy, John Holston, um, and he guides on the uh, the White River down in Arkansas. Okay. And he has a group called Straight Outta Cotter. They have some really great videos, and you should check them out. But, yeah. Um, Meeting that guy uh, really just showed me like how much 
there is to learn about fishing. Gotcha. Like, I mean, just like there's so many variables and like you talk to him and it, he just blows your mind about like everything that he knows about that river. Um, you know, and, and he's really opened things up in terms of like night fishing down there. That's been his really big shtick um, is taking people out and like big brown trout kind of form up into wolf packs in the river at night. And it's really exciting when you get into them because you're catching these huge fish. Cool. Um, and the fact that he can like navigate the river at night was just really impressive to me. I was like, holy crap, like it's dark. I don't even know where we're at. I can't tell you what's downstream, what's upstream. Yeah, just a whole nother layer than what you're used to. Yeah, and, and on top of that, you know, he's just, he talks about all the days he spent on the river and it just really opens your mind to like, wow, there's just so much to learn about this. Yeah. And it's exciting because like, it, it, I feel like it's never something I'll get bored with. Yeah. I, I've shared this before, but you know, I was uh, on a backpacking trip at Haunt State Park down in Farmington couple of years ago and I was over geared to the teeth mm-hmm. and I think everybody when they start backpacking you're bringing a saw and you're bringing heavy clothes <laughs> and too much clothes and all this stuff and I think my first like base load with just you know your pack without water weight uh water food or fuel mm-hmm. uh was I think my first base load was like 40 something pounds. I mean, it was just a ridiculous amount of weight. Uh, I think I'm down to like 16 or 17 now. So it's been a a large reduction, but I was at this trip. I see these three old guys and they kind of come into our camp late and they start talking about how they've done a bunch of the AT and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the guys I walked up to him was just like, Hey man, you guys all seem, you know, pretty well geared up. You know, what am I doing wrong? Like, what am I bringing that I shouldn't and what shouldn't I bring that I am? Mm-hmm. And the guy goes, look, man, it's you're way overcomplicating it. You need a place to sleep. You need a way to make clean water. And you need a way to cook food. Everything else is frivolous. Yeah. And it was just such, there was this like mantra that I just went, oh, he's right. Everything else is just a comfort item. So decide whether you need to be that comfortable or not. And quite often you find out that you don't use like 99% of that stuff. So that probably cut like... 12 13 pounds like boom right mm-hmm. away he just made that one comment and i was like oh yeah that makes sense yeah so i'm always looking for those kind of like tidbits and things but the night fishing thing i never would have thought that that was kind of a thing yeah yeah it's really cool uh and, and i highly recommend it like it's it's not something you can do your first time out um but like once you start feeling more comfortable uh and there there's things that he has experimented with like different lines mm. so he uses a um a line called switch spay line and it's got this like real fat head to it. Okay. And so like in pitch black, you can feel when you're coming to the end of your line when you're stripping it back in. And gotcha. So there's like little things like that that you just wouldn't think about. Um, you know, I would have just gone out there with like normal line and, and cast like I normally do. Um, and, and he's been out there and he's done it enough to where it's just like, oh, wow, like there's a lot to this that yeah. I haven't even thought about. Gotcha. Gotcha. So going back to some of the kind of stuff that somebody would want to start off with yeah. when it comes to fly fishing, what do you think are the most important things when it comes to getting going? Yeah. So a lot of people will think they need waders right off the bat. And that's not necessarily the case only if you're going to like fish in the wintertime. Okay. Um, you know, like right now in the middle of the summer when most people want to go fishing, um, you don't need them. You can okay. wait. So you just need some sandals. Uh, and that's, that's a quick way to, to cut a lot of money out of that budget. Uh, really there's like, I really like TFO rods. Okay. So I always recommend those that, um, or a St. Croix rod. Um, St. Croix is made in America. So a lot of people really value that and want that. So they're a little bit more expensive. Um, but you know, it's like 20 more dollars or something sure. like that. Um, a lot of different good reels that people can get. I really like, uh, the Lamson Waterworks liquid. Okay. Uh, it's a rod. I think you spend 150 bucks and you can get the reel and two extra spools. Oh, wow. and, and so the spools are important because you know, as you do more kinds of fishing, you'll want 
a floating line. You'll want a sinking line. Um, you might want one of those, like a switch spay line for night fishing. So uh, that really allows you to be more versatile and to, uh, in any situation, start having the gear you need to catch fish at a really reasonable price. Is that pretty common that reels have interchangeable spools? Is that kind of a standard function? It is, but a lot of them are more expensive. You know, like if you get say like a hatch reel like that reel on itself is 500 bucks oh, wow. and then you're looking at like this the the spool to be like an extra 200 bucks on top of that for 150 you can get the reel and, and you really only need to spend money on reels if you're a gear guy like okay. a lot of people really are like that or you're saltwater fishing okay because saltwater just totally destroys reels but uh when you're doing the the freshwater stuff i mean it's nice to have the, the really expensive great stuff but you don't need it gotcha yeah. gotcha okay so rod and reel mm-hmm. don't need necessarily waders what else so you're going to need to get a line on that. Okay. Uh, so that's pretty self-explanatory. got to have the fly line. Um, now, when it comes to a, a starter, what kind of line should they get? Yeah, there's a handful of different manufacturers, and I would just say go to your local fly shop and ask them what you should get, what they would recommend. Uh, like Rio is a really good brand. They're owned by Sage. Um, Scientific Anglers is another one. Um, look at both of those. And then from there, you're, you're going to need flies. Okay. And, and so that's another thing where your local fly shop can help you out with that. And they usually are going to be very helpful. You kind of ask them, where do you think I, where do you suggest I go fishing? Um, and then they can give you flies that are good for that. Um, I would also ask around about getting fly casting lessons. Okay. It's not a thing you can just go out there and do. Okay. Uh, I mean, you probably could figure it out after a lot of frustration, but like before you get out to the river, take a lesson. It can take you, it's something I always say fly fishing is something that takes an hour to learn and a lifetime to master. Like yeah. you can learn to cast in an hour. Well, I always think of it, you know, I think a lot of people would, especially if they've struggled with their golf swing at any mm-hmm. time in, in their life, right? You can make up so much ground with one lesson with a golf pro yeah or especially if you're just getting started to think about the way to build a golf swing versus all right swing a club and then i'll tear it apart from there if they start you with the right fundamentals it makes all the difference in the world and i would have to imagine it's exactly the same it is it really is and there's a lot of just like really simple tricks um it's like waiting a little bit longer in someone's back cast or uh, making sure you stop your rod tip high enough because like the the natural tendency is you want to bring your rod tip like all the way back like like almost all the way touching the ground that's not true you almost want to stop at like one or two o'clock gotcha you know you're thinking about it on a clock scale um and so there's some of those things that just having someone watching you will help and you'll also learn that like that really long beautiful cast that you see in like a river runs through it or a movie like that isn't something you necessarily need especially if you're fishing around here like you can get away with the roll cast and and some things that are a lot easier and less frustrating to to master right gotcha yeah so i know that there are multiple lengths of rods there's weights Mm -hmm. of rods we didn't really touch on that yeah uh you know obviously things are going to change from geographic area and Mm -hmm. types of fish that you're going for for someone that's just kind of getting started looking for a versatile rod yeah what length, what's weight, and what do all what does all that mean to people? Easy answer. Uh, I would get a nine foot six weight. Okay. And, and so the the smaller the number, the smaller the rod. And, and so that's just it's thinner. Um, it flexes a little bit more, I guess, or doesn't handle bigger fish as easy. Um, and usually, like the bigger the weight, the the like the heavier the line, and okay. it can cast a little bit further. Um, it goes anywhere from a one weight, which is tiny. It's like a little toothpick, um, all the way up to like a 12 weight and you can get like big spay rods, a totally different thing. But, um, I always say a six weight and it's because it's an incredibly versatile rod there. You can nymph, which is like, 
you know, you've got a, a, a strike indicator, which is what in fly fishing, you call it's a bobber um, with this tiny little thing that's underneath it. Okay. Um, it's like a bug in the water and you float it and uh, you can do that. You can use it for uh, dry fly fishing. So like an elk haired caddis, it just looks like this little bug that, you know, kind of lands on the water. Or you can throw these like massive, like seven, eight inch streamers on there and it, it can handle it. It's gotcha. not going to be as good as like an eight weight or anything, but I love the six weight because it's really great for everything that you would want to do. Uh, and so if someone's just getting started and they're just getting one rod, nine foot six weight. Okay. That's great, great advice. So we've talked about rod, reel, line, get some flies from a local you mm-hmm. know shop or someone that kind of knows the waters that you're going to be fishing or, you know, mm-hmm. ask your guides. What else did some would somebody need to feel comfortable walking out into the river? Yeah, I mean, it would be helpful to have a fly box to put those flies in. That's okay. pretty easy. Um, and then you're going to need, like, nippers so you can clip the line. Uh, and, and I would say nippers, for I just learned this this last week, and essentially look like toenail clippers. Yes. Basically. And there's fancier ones that you don't need. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you could just grab toenail clippers and use them. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and, and so you'll want those just so you can clip the line. Like, some people can, like, bite it off. I, I'm not one of those guys. I need the nippers. Uh, hemostats, which just kind of look like scissors, but that's for, you know, grabbing the hook out of a fish's mouth. Um, a lot of times those hemostats will also have like kind of scissor thing to it. Mm. So you can get away with not having nippers and you can, and just have that one tool. And I, I like to use those. Uh, and then you, you might want like a fly pack. Like, okay. um, so I like the, to use like the hip packs. Uh, there are a bunch of brands that make good ones. I, the one I have is from fish pond. Sims makes another really good one. Um, but you don't really need that. Like you could put it in your pocket and get away with it. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And then how important is it to have a net to get started? Is that something that you need right away? I would suggest it, um, particularly if you're going to trout fish, just because, especially like as you get more experienced, you'll realize while you're catching smaller fish, you don't need a net. Yeah. Uh, but when you're not experienced, you re- won't really have a ton of idea of what you're doing. And it's just helpful just to get the fish in the net and, and then have it there. And, and as you get bigger fish, like that you can't control, like a striped bass, what I was out catching last weekend, like they're massive. You can't yeah. handle them without a net. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting. I mean, and I think one of the things that I've experienced just in looking at fishing gear is obviously there's a wide range of costs and, and sure. qualities of gear. I think you can get a net for 12 to 15 bucks. They're not expensive. Yeah. It's not going to be the greatest thing in the world, but it would probably get you going. Mm-hmm. And I heard a guy say something to his very young daughter out on the river that for me, having someone that has no experience and doesn't really know what they're doing, it made such a difference in my comfort of when I landed fish he said, all right, get the fish in your net and then grab the fish through the net from underneath and use the net as traction. Interesting. I've and never it was seen such, so easy because I just dipped it in, grabbed that fish from the underside, and I had this unbelievable traction on it. And then I could just let go of my net and then use my hemostats to pull the hooks and everything like that. It was unbelievably effective. Here you're teaching me something. Exactly, right? Passing it on. So uh, (laughs) it was things like that that I was like, oh, that makes a ton of sense, at least for someone getting started that may have a little aversion to Mm -hmm. not being so comfortable grabbing fish Mm -hmm. right away or feeling like they're hurting it because they're grabbing too hard. Mm -hmm. I felt like I could put a lot less pressure on the fish and make it a lot more comfortable, which for me, I wasn't quite ready to just like wrench shit out of the fish's mouth and all that so um yeah that was kind of a cool little tip that i got yeah and so orvis has a really great line of videos to go look at online just to kind of start learning some of the basics especially about casting cool uh certainly not a a substitute for like getting like a, a 
a lesson or anything sure. like that, but really great stuff. Like they'll teach you these tips and tricks like that that are really helpful. I always send those out to people as they're learning. Um, and so I think those are really helpful. Like you just learn, pick up a lot of little stuff. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. And I, I, I really like your idea of the guide for the simple fact that it's one thing to watch a video on YouTube. God knows I watch mm -hmm. all the videos on YouTube, but having someone there that can actually watch you and mm -hmm. correct the things that you don't realize you're doing yeah. can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah, I think you, know, you were talking about earlier how when you go to a backpack at a place, it's like it's really hard to kind of figure out anything about it before you get there. Yeah. And then once you've been there once, it like makes all the sense in the world. Um, and it's kind of like that with fishing too. It really is. Um, you, as a millennial, you, you want to believe that you can find all the information that you need on the internet. And I know I was trying to do that. And the Missouri Department of Conservation, where we live, has a really, really great, is, is a really great resource. They do have a lot of really great information, but it's not going to provide everything that you need. Yeah. And, and what I did find was that online was a really great place to start networking with people. Yeah. And so there's a lot of really great groups on, uh, on Facebook. You can find people on Instagram. And so where things really changed for me is when I just started reaching out to people. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, Hey, you know, I would like to fish this weekend. You know, I've seen that you've been there. Can you tell me about it? Um, and as you start to build those relationships and you start focusing less on like finding something on a website and more from using the internet to like find the people who can yeah. give you the information. That's when things really change for me. I agree with you because I, when I first started getting into backpacking, I was just strict tent, normal guy. Mm -hmm. uh, I fairly quickly through YouTube found out about hammock camping and just dove as fast head first down that rabbit hole as I could, which mm -hmm. is this weirdo total strange subsection of camping that mm -hmm. is a wholly different animal of human <laughs> uh and i love it and it's great but there's a facebook group that's separate from the actual forum website there's a website called hammockforums.net which mm -hmm. if anybody's interested in hammock forums you sh or hammocking you should go there dive yeah. down the rabbit hole get into it the facebook group alone has like twenty-two thousand people in it yeah and if you ask any question throughout the day, you will get annihilated with answers mm -hmm. about whatever you want. And when I was, um, I was at a cybersecurity conference a couple of years ago in San Francisco, and my colleague was, we had a, a free day, and was mm -hmm. like, dude, you should just grab a car, drive down to Big Sur if you've never been there, it's awesome. It's like an hour and a half from here. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, cool. Grab a rental car, I get on the way, I literally GPS it after the fact, and it was three hours away. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I had to be back in San Francisco that night. So I just drove there, took some photos, drove back. And uh -huh. it was a great trip. But I was on my way down there, I see this unbelievable switchback trail going up the side of this mountain mm -hmm. in Big Sur Park. And I was like, oh my God, I have to go there. I got back to my hotel, and I started Googling around, and I couldn't find a lot of great information. And then I just threw it up on the Hammock Forums Facebook group. Like, hey, does anybody know what the switchback trail? Just like hundreds of answers pouring in on me. And mm -hmm. it was kind of funny because everybody kept answering the same answer. And I was yeah. like, all right, it's already been answered, guys. Uh, but it was mind-boggling how much faster it was to just ask questions of the people that knew. Yeah. Uh, and Hammock Forums is even broken out by geographic territory, so you can just say, like, Californians, oh, nice. tell me where I should go outside of San yeah. Francisco, and they will just start mm -hmm. hammering you with good information. And uh, these communities have popped up. One of the things about backpacking is having good, accurate map information yeah, of the sure. trails, because trails change a lot. And the beautiful thing is now everybody, you know, I've got a Garmin watch and other people carry GPSs. Uh, you can download the tracks. And so you can say like, hey, I'm going here. Who was there last? 
and someone will be like, oh, I was there two weeks ago. Here's my track. Yeah. And then you know, like, very up-to-date, accurate information, uh, which has been really helpful yeah, because I, I cool. try to be as prepared as can, but sometimes you just got to leave it up to chance. Yeah. So so shifting gears, I know, and I don't want to, you know, take up all of your night, but uh, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, your experience in, in bird hunting and sure. with your bird dogs. So yeah. your family has a, kind of a background in that as well. So your dad kind of helped you get involved in that, correct? A little bit. So my dad was a big duck hunter when I grew up, and we had a lab and a flat-coated retriever. Uh, and so I did that a lot with him when I was a kid. And I think he made the mistake of taking me on a quail hunt at one of his buddy's farms. Okay. And I went out there and just thought it was the coolest thing ever. You know, I, I'm not a morning guy. And when you duck hunt, you know, you're getting up at like 3 o'clock in the morning. When you're bird hunting, it's not that early. Gotcha. Um, and I just really enjoyed, like, while well, it's, it's fantastic to watch a great retriever work, I just really loved watching a pointer work. Hmm. And I kind of always had it in the back of my head. And, um, and so my dad worked at Purina, and he... Um, did a lot of like breeder enthusiasts kind of marketing. Cool. Uh, and so he knew a lot of the breeders in around the country for all different kinds of breeds. And when I was out of college, I was like, you know, I really want to get into quail hunting more. I just kind of had it in my head. Yeah. And so I, I ha- picked out the Vishla as the breed for me. And I told my dad, and he was like, you're an effing idiot. Because that that dog will not hunt. You know, I was like, you're, you won't be able to teach it to sit, stay, or come. And I was like, I, people hunt with them. I want to get. I was like, not smart people. So, uh, no, what was it about Avicii that you wanted? You know, I really loved the the look of them. To be okay. honest, um, I had read that they were the best of the bird dogs at being able to turn their energy off and being in the house. I live in in the city of St. Louis. Sure. And so that was something that was important to me. Um, and I just thought they were really sweet. Every time I had met one, you know, like they're, they're the Velcro dogs. They come up and they like want to be in your lap. And Dash was climbing in your lap earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I really liked that. And so my dad actually helped me find uh, like a really awesome breeder down in Texas and, and found Dash for me. And and he's, now he's like the biggest Vishla guy my dad is. And so um, through that, you know, just kind of was an, an ex- exploration with me and my dad, like trying to get into this thing. We had never trained a bird dog. No joke. Um, yeah. So Dash is my first one. And I just really got into it. Now he has his master hunter title, um, which is like a really incredible, awesome thing. Um, now, how, so- did, how did you get out? How, how does one start? learning how to do that if you don't have a background yeah. in it what what kind of research who did you talk to how did you get involved in that yeah so i, I at first i thought i was just gonna be able to read some books yeah and my dad who just like knows he's just a generally smart guy's like you're not going to get the information you need out of a book and while they are helpful and you should get them if you are, are into it so he actually did some research and found this hunt club in st louis called wilnor okay and it's awesome like it's a bunch of old guys hanging out playing cards training bird dogs and I went out there and it was really intimidating at first sure. because, you know, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, you feel like a fish out of water, but they were all so nice and welcoming and just really mentored me. Um, and so I, I trained Dash myself with their help and they helped me every step of the way. That's cool. And so through that, it was like, I would say Dash really, tra- I would say he trained me more than I even trained him, but, um, you know, it was really, like I had someone there to bounce ideas off of and ask questions of, and, and they like really helped me do everything. Bill Coons, who's out there is awesome. Um, of all the bird dog trainers I've met since he's still the best. Wow. He has a really awesome method. That's very kind. It was, which is something I really wanted. Like some guys you'll send your dog off to them and they just want to get it over real quick. They're using their heavy handed tactics with shot collars and things like that. And you go out there and Bill like acts like they're all his babies, yeah. you know, and, and so I just really appreciated his method, and I, it really worked well. That's great. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, you guys have a second dog that we were talking mm-hmm. about uh, that you and your dad are kind of sharing in this experience. Yeah. Your dad's doing a lot of the training. You're doing some as well. 
So how much was your dad involved? Because I know he's doing some of the training with this dog. Yeah. How, was he involved when you were out at this hunt club or have you kind of passed it on or is he kind of doing it on his own? We How's really did working? it together. Cool. You know, it, it was a really cool experience because he has trained field trial duck dogs. Okay. Um, had, and had been really involved in that world. So he had a, a, a background in hunting dogs, at least. Um, where so I he's familiar have, with the psychology of yes. how a dog works. Exactly. And so he, he was interested in, in doing this with me just because he's a really awesome guy, loves to do outdoor stuff and has been a great mentor for me. And I know not everyone uh, is as lucky as I am. That's why I like to help, sure. That's why I started Yuppie Hunt Club. Um, but through that, you know, it was just like, let's do this together. And he was really great in, in helping me do research and helping me network with people and all those various things. And, and through that, we both got into it together to the point where like now we we're doing it again. We got yeah. another dog. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you think that now, is this something that you, did your parents have a dog outside of Josie as well? No. Okay. So, yeah. So, so they, you know, my, we'd had dogs growing up. We had a lab and a flat coat retriever and the Norwich Terrier, oddly enough, uh, <laughs> in there. So just like a little guy. Um, but then, you know, it was just like, they were kind of, it was kind of like they were done having dogs for a while. Gotcha. And then Dash came into all of our lives, and you know, I think they, they started getting the itch again. Um, and my mom definitely wanted one, even more than my dad. And so Funny. when it when it came time to like, start thinking about another dog, they definitely wanted in on the fun. That's cool. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, pheasant hunting, quail hunting, all these kinds of you know upland bird type, uh, that kind of hunting, um, what is it about that activity other than obviously being not so early in the morning? What yeah. is it about that that really kind of bit you? Well, when you duck hunt or when you deer hunt, you're kind of just sitting in a static location, either looking up at the sky or looking down at the ground. And uh, I have fun doing that, you know, a few days, mm -hmm. but it gets old pretty quick to me. And I've always liked to hike, you know, like how you like to backpack. And so um, when you're when you're doing the upland game stuff, you're more going on a hike with your dog sure and then when your dog goes on point that hike gets really exciting really quick you know you're walking around this really beautiful setting like you would hike anywhere else and all of a sudden your dog stops and goes on point and if you're quail hunting you don't know if it's a single one bird it could be a giant covey of 50 birds you know when you get into a covey they explode up from like in between your feet i mean it's no wild joke. what happens like you just it's like it feels like a helicopter takes <laughs> off between your feet and then there's just birds everywhere, and, and you're with a couple of buddies. Shots are going off. Birds are dropping, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you send your dog on the retrieve. Your dog brings birds back. You know, they're trying to find the down game. And, you know, you get it all back, and you're high-fiving with the buddies, and then it goes back to being quiet again, and you're back to just, like, kind of being – and so I really enjoy, the like, those ups and downs. Feeds because, the ADHD that yeah, you're talking about. Exactly. With you, you get Very your, accurate. You get your chill moments of just, like, walking around. Like, oh, that's that's a pretty tree. That's a great rock. You know, yeah. like, that kind of stuff. And then it's, like, wild. Like, you know, it's like an amusement park when, the, when, the, when it's all going off. That's yeah. awesome. That's really cool. So when it comes to that kind of stuff, obviously shotgun – 12 yep. gauge, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, well, it depends on the bird. Okay. So typically I would suggest if someone is interested in, in just getting a versatile gun for anything, like if they want to do waterfowl, upland, skeet shooting, 12 gauge. Yeah. But if you're like really interested in doing like the upland stuff, 20 gauge. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Just less damage to the bird, I'm guessing. Yeah. And, and it, as you get into it, it's like anything. There's a little bit of snobbery involved. And sure. you know, there's, there's definitely an ethical situation there with like overkill. So less damage to the bird. Um, but shooting with a 20 gauge is more like the classic way of hunting. Just a refined skill. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, like a 20 gauge over and under. It's just like, it's classic. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a, a, a material that's in, um, backpacking nowadays that's called Cuban fiber. I don't know if you've come across it mm. in your stuff, but it's this 
crazy lightweight, incredibly waterproof, fairly durable material. Mm -hmm. And it's almost opaque. It's so thin. Uh, My tarp, I I don't have this stuff yet. I'm working on budgeting for it. But uh, my tarp is a 12-foot tarp, and I think it's 10 feet wide. Mm -hmm. Uh, My tarp weighs like 22 ounces for the same exact footprint this thing would weigh like seven and a half it's like a third of the weight wow for a 12 foot 10 foot wide tarp it's bonkers yeah uh i have a pack liner made out of it that was fairly expensive and it's two ounces and it's i mean it's a dry bag this big it's huge that's awesome it's really cool stuff yeah um when you see somebody with a cuban fiber tarp it's a 20 gauge you're like oh all right yeah you take this seriously it's (laughs) kind of that same badge of yeah like all right i'm really into this and this is kind of my thing yeah that's cool yeah and bird hunting it's a thing where it's like when you're getting started you probably want to get a guide and go do it before you like get a dog for instance um and there's just like things you'll pick up from them when you're out doing it um but then once you get a dog it's really just like nothing else and people will often ask me like what do you like better fishing or bird hunting and it's a tough answer because there's more wild fish than there are wild birds. Mm-hmm. And so that's what leads me to to fly fishing as my number one answer for that. But if there were more wild birds, it would be hands down bird hunting because there's just nothing like watching a good bird dog work. And especially when you get multiple in a field, watching them work together, honoring each other. So honoring is where like one dog goes on point and the other dog sees it and they just instinctively will stop and also go on point. No joke. To like not mess stuff up messed stuff up and so it's just it's so cool watching these dogs like work together in a field and it's just it's poetry yeah it's poetry in motion and and so it's similar like when you watch someone cast a fly rod but this is like man and beast working together and that is just so exciting to me and i always just like i'm like if you if you've got the the gall to go out and get a bird dog you will not regret it because it is so much fun you will have a best buddy for life um, and on top of that, it's just an exciting, fun thing to do. It's one of the interesting things. I've, I've been lucky enough to follow some hunters on Instagram. And I did not grow up hunting. I didn't yeah. you know, have really anybody in my family that does a ton of it. Um, and I follow a couple of guys that are mainly bow hunters. Mm-hmm. And one guy's Adam Greentree, who's an Australian dude. Another guy's Cameron Haynes, who's here in America. Uh, he's kind of popularized because he's Under Armour sponsored mm-hmm. and good looking dude. Um, <laughs> always helps. Yeah, and he's <laughs> shredded out of his brains. And he does, uh, I mean, he's jacked like a fighter. But he does ultra marathons, mm-hmm. and he just did the he did the Moab 240 last year, and ran 240 consecutive miles and Holy slept crap. like an hour and a half in three days or That's something. Nuts. Like that. It's bananas, yeah. right? Um, which I don't know if you know anything about that race, but uh, a girl won that race above anybody else, guys, girls, anybody. Girl named Courtney Dolwalter won that race by ten hours. Holy crap. So she could have literally finished, gone back to her hotel, gotten a full night of sleep, gotten up, taken a shower, gotten dressed, had a breakfast, and gone back to watch the second place finisher (laughs) 20-something miles behind her. Uh, And she's just crushing races. And she was on Joe Rogan recently. That's cool. Uh, And he asked her, he was like, so what 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 is your diet like? And she's like, beer, nachos, whatever I want. And he's like, (laughs) seriously? And she goes, it has nothing to do with my training or anything like that. She's like, I run 10 miles a day. It's not like I'm some super freak. She goes, I'm just better at getting my brain to turn the pain off than other people. And it was such like an interesting way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, I just, you know, I realized that about every five or six hours, it's going to get really miserable and it's going to be there for 20 or 30 minutes. And if I just get through it, then I'll get another five or six hours and it'll be fine. 
And so I just think about, all right, it's about 15 more minutes. And she just turns it off. And wow. It's just I'd fold. At, oh, immediately. I mean, I, I, I've been out of shape. I played football all the way through college and was in very good shape for a mm-hmm. long time. Have not been in good shape for a long time. Same here. And I went out running the other day and, you know, always have viewed myself as an athlete. Yeah. And I did two miles in like 23 minutes. I mean, it was like an 11 something probably pretty eye opening. And it was just like, oh. I'm that far behind the eight ball. But it was also one of those realizations it's not going to take that long to get that back. Um, So when it comes to, you know, this type of hunting, this type of stuff. So you've talked about, you know, 10 gauge or I'm sorry, 12 and and 20 gauge. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there anything else that you kind of need? Obviously, you know, bird dogs help. You can go get guides and clubs and things like that. Where do you go to find? How do you find places to hunt? How do you, you know, find the right guides, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing? It's kind of the same story as fly fishing. So it's all like the best information you're going to get is from networking. Okay. Uh, That's where you'll find the best guides. You know, the best guides are not often the flashiest or easiest to find. Like a lot of times the people who do the best marketing are just the best marketers. Right, right. You know, like they're sometimes they're the best bird hunting guides or the best fly fishing guides. But more often than not, they're not. Yeah. Um, And so it's like kind of getting out and asking people. um, You know, if you start to tell people, like, while it does seem like intimidating at first, if you start to tell people your story, I'm really, I really want to get into this. I don't have anyone helping me. People will help you out. Oh, yeah, for sure. While it's a tight knit community, people are also like very willing to like give a little bit of help to you to find that stuff, especially if you're going to find a guide. Um, Like, they'll like point you in the right direction. Gotcha. But you know, the internet is helpful too. So like you can do some research and, and find them, uh, you know, hunting preserves are a thing. Those are called like canned hunts. They basically just throw birds out in a field Yeah. and then you go hunt them up. Yeah. Uh, pen raised birds, but it's a good way to get into it. And it's a good way to have success early on. Cause when you're hunting wild birds, like more often than not, you don't find them. Right. Um, and so, you know, you go out and do those. It's really fun when you're taking someone out for the first time or when it's your first time yourself. Cause you get a feel for what it's going to be. Um, and it, it kind of like, you know, it's like, that's like the, the gateway drug, if yeah. you will, to all the wild bird stuff where you're traveling all over the place and, you know, going for different species and things like that. But Wilnor is a really great one here in St. Louis that I would highly recommend. Um, they have guides, you know, they have dogs. Um, you can even borrow a gun if you need to. Um, and so that's a really great place to start to see if you want to do it. The other thing is like just checking out Yuppie Hunt Club. Um, we're on Facebook. It's this thing I started because I feel very fortunate that I had a dad that helped me get into all this stuff, but not everyone's like that. And, yeah. and what I just kind of noticed, like people, you know, you'd be out at a bar and be like, what do you like to do for fun? And I'd answer and they'd be like, I've always wanted to go fly fishing. I've always wanted to go bird hunting. And so I just kind of started creating a group. The, the, the way it started is like, I took a bunch of friends out to out hunting one time and there were a bunch of like doctors and lawyers and that kind of stuff. And some good old boy made a, a joke. He's like, this is the Yuppie Hunt Club. And I was like, that's a good name. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> so I kind of stole it and ran with it. And I had a bunch of t-shirts printed up and uh, gave them to one of my buddies. And my buddy was wearing it and he like, there's a girl that he was having uh, a special friendship with, sure, if you will. Sure. And he like went and picked her up and he was wearing the t-shirt and very attractive girl. And she was like, where'd you get that shirt? I want to buy that shirt. And he was like, what do you mean? It's just like this jerk off thing. My <laughs> does. And she's like, no, I, I love that shirt. I want one. Where can I get one? I was like, oh, this is like a real thing. Yeah, and I it also opened my eyes. Like it isn't just a thing for me and my buddies. Like yeah. there's a lot of people like that girl was interested in coming out. And she, there's a lot of people who are. And so kind of now the mission is just like getting more people into the sport. 
Uh, because if we get the more people in the sport in the right way yeah. that are conservation minded, you know, catch and release fishermen, um, you know, then it's not an issue, right? Yeah. Like, like what do I care if someone's going to go out and catch fish and put them back, let Absolutely. them go, let them grow. And so if you teach people to do it the right way, it's not a problem. The, the problem ensues when you have people who are going out who don't know any better. Yeah. And so that's kind of the mission is like, you want to get into it? Great. Let's help you do it the right way. Um, and then the other part is like, when you go out and do it, a lot of times, you know, it's just the stigma. Like you're going to go out with Bubba and his brother Bubba. Yeah. And so, you know, like let's find people that you'll enjoy going out and doing this like-minded people. The whole mantra is like, get out of the cubicle, get into the woods. Uh, and so we're there to like help people make that transition from like spending their Saturdays going to a farmer's market, uh, to like spending your Saturdays and like actually going out and, you know, like instead of buying farm to table food, like go out and do field to table yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really interesting experience because I have never had a, um, an adverse opinion of hunting, of fishing, of any of that. I feel very passionate about Mm -hmm. the connection that there is between your food and procuring it and actually going through the experience of, of taking that life and doing all of that. And it was really interesting because like I told you, I caught my first legitimate fish this last week and we, I caught my only fish of the first day towards the end of the day Mm because we got there late and everybody had already been fishing and all that. So we caught some fish at the end of the day. Sarah caught a couple, her dad cleaned hers and they went back. No, Sarah cleaned hers. And then uh, we went back to the, the campsite and I still had my fish that hadn't been cleaned. And her dad was like, oh, AJ, just run down there and, and take care of yours. And this like reality, as weird as it sounds, as a 34-year-old man that's like played football and done all these kind mm-hmm. of gruff things. My dad grew I grew up in a construction family. Yeah. I'd never cut something open and like torn its insides out. <laughs> and I wasn't totally sure whether this fish was fully dead yet. Yeah. And I wasn't quite sure what to do. And so I got back down in there to the stream and I was like, look, man, this is the connection you keep thinking about. This is mm-hmm. that respect that you have yeah. to pay. You have to be a part of this. And that like realization all of a sudden switch flipped, felt totally comfortable, went through it, did the process. Everything was great. Yeah. Got my trout, felt great about it. And 100% made sure I knew where that fish was in the bag of the fish that we mm-hmm. took home because I want to cook that fish yeah. very specially. That's going to be my fish. Like I 100% felt that. It's an incredibly in that small symbiotic moment. relationship that yeah. you have with nature when you start to do these things. Uh, and like I shot a deer... I guess when was it? It would have been two years ago, and my ex was with me, and I like shot it, and she heard the shot, and she came out, and was like, "Did you get one?" I was like, "Yeah, there's one down over there." And so she walked up with me, and um, I stopped there, and I was looking at it, and she looked at me, she's like, "Are you gonna cry?" Yeah, I was like, "No," (laughs) Uh, but you know, you kind of feel like that because you did just take this life, and uh, but it's it's that healthy respect that you need to have for it, um, and, and know that you did just take something's life. But, you know, if you do it in the ethical way, right, you're going to harvest all the meat out of it you can. Um, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's yeah. a great thing. It's, that's, why, that's why God put them on earth for yeah. them to be here. Yeah. Well, and especially when you consider one of the things that I, I heard Joe Rogan say a while back, which I thought was so insightful, was consider the other ways that that animal is going to die. Yeah. Right? It's going to be eaten. <laughs> it's going to get hit by a car or it's going to starve of old age or it's going to freeze to death. Mm-hmm. Like those are essentially the four ways that most game animals go out. Yeah. So when you talk about a 60 second death, a 30 second death, especially if you're using a rifle, it could be yeah. even quicker than that. Um, 
it's such a more humane way yeah. if it's done right, right? Yeah. If it's a well-trained hunter that's done their practice, that yeah. has a good shot, that does what they're supposed to do, it's an extremely ethical way yeah, well, for mean, that animal to A lot animal of times when you think about it, like here in Missouri, we took all the predators of deer out, yeah. which is not a good thing. Like I love that the bears are coming back now. That's incredible. But you know, left to their own devices, the deer population will just go insane. And, and we're seeing that now with like all the like chronic wasting disease that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's overpopulation. And so when you hear people talk about it, it's like th- there's a natural process that needs to occur from predators that keeps the population in check. And, you know, n- nowhere is that more prevalent than with like bear hunting. I have a buddy that was just up in Canada bear hunting. And what a lot of people don't know is like the old males kill the babies yeah, because the females will go back into season and yeah. they get to get their rocks off again sooner. Um, and, and it's like if you don't kill those old males, then they'll just kill a bunch of babies. Well, what would you rather have happen, right? Like somebody go out and shoot a big bear or like have baby bears grow and thrive and be be great for the population. Well, it's the Disneyfication of animals, right? Like we have this very clear line in the sand of what animals we think are warm and cuddly. And I don't know if, if you saw this, I'll show you after the podcast, but there's a video that went around Instagram of a grizzly bear in, I think it's Montana, chasing a deer. Uh-huh. through an open field yeah. and it's a helicopter video mm-hmm. so you're seeing this thing cover ground and it's a thousand pounds yeah. and it is moving like an agile nimble house cat i mean yeah. it is freakishly terrifying yeah. and when you think about the aggression that some of those older animals cause but for some reason everybody thinks of that animal as winnie the pooh yeah right like oh well no it's cute and cuddly and oh i I, we can't shoot those they are monsters you know it's kind of funny otters same way yeah everyone's like oh my gosh otters are so cute no they are destructive animals that kill for sport do they really? Oh, yeah. Like, the otters are the worst thing for a fishing river because they will just come in and they will kill every fish they can find in the river. Whether they have to eat it or not. They don't even just eat it. Just kill for they fun. They just kill it. And, and so it's like, you know, like when I hunt, it's like I eat the stuff I kill. Yeah. Otters don't even do that. And so, you know, you hear people talk like, oh, the otters, they just look so cute and cuddly. Like, that's not what I see. Yeah. And you're right. It's the Disneyfication of it all. Like, my granny, she was, she loved otters. She thought they were the cutest thing ever. And then, like, as I got to know what otters really do, I was like, what the heck like yeah these are terrible ferocious animals yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's we have settled into this world where we have certain breeds that we just say 100 percent without question no matter what no matter what kind of damage it's doing Mm -hmm. no matter how dangerous it's getting for humans there's just things and and my girlfriend not to shit on her or anything i love Mm -hmm. her to death and she's an incredible person uh my girlfriend is a vet tech and Uh she has an incredibly deep love for animals as you would expect However, she also eats meat mm-hmm. and, you know, does all the things that a normal human does. Um, she has basically given me a list of, like, what is allowed and what's not allowed when it comes to hunting. And essentially, it's like, hooved animals are game, pawed animals are not. So, That's no fair. cats, no bears, nothing like that. That's fair. But, yeah, and I was like, look, I, elk, moose, some big hooved animals is yeah. essentially what i would want to go after i'm more into it for the meat acquisition yeah. than i am for the kill yeah, yeah. um so those animals that were on that list i was like okay fair i can get through with that we're gonna try and move to the northwest at some point in the ne- relatively near future next cool. couple of years and i'm like let's come face to face with a couple of these 10 foot tall 
trash compactor monsters <laughs> and we'll see if you feel the same yeah. way uh she saw one in glacier from like a great distance a while back and she was desperate to see one in california when mm -hmm. we were there i'm a little like don't get me wrong want to see them want to mm -hmm. safe distances and all that i think they're incredible animals and i have no desire to just see them decimated but the the ethical control of the population leads to healthier populations exactly that's exactly right i actually saw my first missouri bear like a month ago did you really yeah it was awesome where'd you see it so have you heard of like so it's an unopened state park bryant creek state park which is right by my cabin okay and so my cabin's on bryant creek great smallmouth fishing river and um we were driving to a put-in point and this bear just ran right in front of my truck no not joke. like five minutes before that i'd been telling my one of my buddies in the truck like I like how, how bad I wanted to see a bear. Yeah. And then we had one run right in front of the right in front of the truck. It was wild. It was Holy so cool. cow! And then like slam on the brakes, and we all like we were all so excited to see it. We like run into the woods after it, like trying to get it on camera. Were you really? And then we're all like, there's like four or five of us like standing in the woods because there was another truck behind us that it was full of buddies. Sure. And we all were like, did we really just run into the woods yeah. after a bear? <laughs> Maybe this wasn't the smartest thing we've ever done. Maybe we should get back in the truck. Did you see the video of the one in Baldwin the I other know, day? I know, everyone was freaking out about it's it. It's big. Yeah. I mean, it was a big bear. To be honest, though, like, Missouri bears are so reclusive. Like, everyone was freaking out about it. And it's like, they are giant raccoons. Oh, yeah. You know, like, they're not something to, to not worry about, but, like, they are so scared of people. Like, they're so reclusive. But like, everyone was freaking out about it. I'm like, you should just feel, like, if you were to see it, feel honored yeah like there's that cool there we they say we only have like 300 to 350 bears uh in the state of missouri i'm like there's more people that work in my building than that. yeah that's you know, incredible like, so be honored that you saw one of those in the wild it's, yeah. it's pretty neat yeah yeah well brad i mean that's some awesome information i really appreciate you sharing a ton of your experience as far as hunting and fishing kind of your background i hope you'll come on again yeah absolutely. sometime in the near future this was a ton of fun for me and i learned a bunch so i appreciate it man. yeah i appreciate you having me on this was great man thanks